0: My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides, making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom.
1: Apocalypse, apocalypse. Said, why you wanna show up? getting is good
0: Hello, Eumenidites! This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater bringing you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. And I want to get right into this episode because it's a long one. I could have split this one into two episodes. I kind of wanted to so I can use the rest of the month to focus on my live in-person episode at the end of September 2023. But frankly, I couldn't find a good spot to split this one in half. And it's much better told all at once anyway. Plus, I just did that with the Joe Orton episodes, and those are pretty fun. So, we'll start this episode in a moment. But I do want to take some time and welcome my new listeners in South Africa and the Caribbean island of St. Lucia. Welcome. I'm very pleasantly surprised to see my audiences grow there. Okay, but let's get to it. The guest for this episode is content creator Jason Roy Gaston, a self-proclaimed niche TikTok celebrity. You can find him there at, at Jason Roy Gaston. I'll put a link in the show notes. There, Jason dives into a lot of things having to do with pop culture. He's a big fan of several fictional universes, aren't we all, though? (laughs) But I particularly enjoy his dramatic readings of poorly worded or misspelled signs. Jason has some cool content coming up on his YouTube page as well, and I'm going to let him describe that as we begin the episode today. But just for Jason, I found this topic, since he is such a fan of all things pop culture. We had an absolute blast pondering this topic, and you get the fruits of that discussion now. Without further ado, here it is, Broadway Actors or Game Show Hosts. And so, at this point, Jason, you're not just... A repository of dramatic readings of ridiculous signs
1: and no, there's I... so much more to me than that. I have <laughs> hopes, I have dreams, <laughs> I have feelings, I have ambitions, I have a burning sensation when I pee. I have all of those things. Mm, contact your doctor. If any of the following occurs for your minor
0: headache, if you die, you know, I mean anyway. <laughs>
1: yes, if you die, contact your doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how my HMO works, I believe. If you die,
0: contact <laughs> I will say though. That your videos have caused me to really appreciate the weekends in summer as yard sale season or as oh. you as you've seen them as yard sard and yard sard <laughs> and garge yes.
1: sard. G- I mean, Gird sale. I, it's two words. <laughs> Could you not spell check two words?
0: <laughs> and I can just see that person getting there. And so, I spelled yard. I spelled sard. I only had one piece of paper, Ma, and it's got two sides, and I screwed up on the back one, too.
1: You know, in their defense, it might have been something they did on purpose. I I know there are some grammatically disabled people out there, but I will misspell things on purpose just for the fun of it. Uh Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I'm actually the funny thing is I'm actually holding a garage sale this weekend in the hundred and five degree Texas heat right now, which is the smartest thing I've ever done in my entire life. So tomorrow I may just put a yard sard sign in front of my house just to see if it ups the business. Just like <laughs> we had to stop and see a dumb person who put up that yard sard type. <laughs> Wait,
0: aren't you the fella from TikTok? <laughs> hey, oh my god.
1: Enjoy my fondue
0: set. Anyway. <laughs> I
1: am selling my fondue set. I love me. So oh, okay.
0: Fondue. Okay, never mind. Sorry about that. But it sounds like, uh, just chatting with you a bit, you actually are kind of expanding your universe, as it were. So you've got some new stuff on your YouTube channel going on.
1: Yes, I have recently entered a partnership with my good friend Jason Hatswell. He's He's a video editor and a videographer from Australia. And we've known each other for about a year, and he is officially coming on board my YouTube channel. We did a uh, we did an announcement video a few days ago, but we are starting a brand new podcast. It's going to be weekly, and it's called "If You Don't Agree, You're Wrong." <laughs> and we are going to be rapid fire hitting pop culture phenomenon oh. that is coming out. For example, our first show, we are going to be covering uh, Disenchantment, Futurama, Solar Opposites, One Piece. Ooh. And uh, there were several more, but we're we're going to give ourselves like five minutes to talk about it as much as we can, and then ah, no, go on. It's it's kind of like uh, whose line is it anyway? Meets wait wait don't tell me. Meets a Texan and an Australian uh, th- probably throwing obscenities at each other by the time the show's <laughs> over. With. So we're we're really looking it. forward to that. I love it. I love it. And uh, here I'll, I'll give you an idea for one. I am just
0: flabbergasted by the actual political ramifications of the Taylor Swift era's tour where you have prime ministers and heads of state reaching out to her and being like, please bring your show here.
1: It will mean so much to us. Taylor Swift needs to run for president. I think so. If we're going to have a celebrity in the white house, Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah. And yeah. what other president could bring along like 21st, I guess they call them first gentlemen. 21st gentlemen, or 20 oh. X first gentlemen, oh. and us still be on her side. Oh, absolutely really? Swift. I don't know how old is Taylor Swift. I don't know. She's like 20s, maybe early 30s. I have no idea. But I bet yeah. we could
0: I, I bet I bet based on just the uh, amount of voters she would bring to the table. Oh, you uh, know, she would destroy
1: uh, anyone who ran against her. <laughs> Kids would be like lining up like,
0: "Oh yeah, I'm 21."
1: You're like, "Okay." Yeah, could you imagine how fun those (laughs) debates would be? Somebody would just (laughs) pop up there and say, Taylor Swift, in 2012, you said this very troublesome thing. How do you respond? And she goes, it's me. Hi, (laughs) I'm the problem. (laughs) It's me. And like her approval rating would just explode. Everybody would be like, oh, that's so endearing. uh, She couldn't do any worse than what we've had. Let's let's put Taylor Swift in the White House. President Swift.
0: I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well... Jason, that sounds awesome. Looking forward to seeing some of that. Um, I did see that sketch you guys wrote. That was so freaking funny. And so if that's that any wasn't a communication... sketch, that was actually just us. Oh, that's, okay, that's cool. Just what
1: happens? <laughs> we, we just film things. <laughs> Go! It's, it's, the, it's the same way they film any kind of Gary Busey movie. There's no script. They just oh, follow them around. Yeah, <laughs> you're still back there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That four car pileup was not my fault.
0: I just was looking for some, some Coca-Cola.
1: Coca-Cola. You got any Coca-Cola?
0: Well, (laughs) since we are slinging uh, pop culture references already, I thought, uh, you know, I brought you here for a reason. And uh, as I am want to do, I like to ask a question of my guests to get things rolling. And as you and I both have history in the theater world, Ah, you know, I will ask you this. Hmm. You've often heard of a performer having it,
1: yes, chlamydia
0: <laughs> that was not the answer I expected, oh <laughs> okay I was sorry I was I went off on a
1: tangent there no no, 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 I was looking for syphilis <laughs> ah. <No. laughs> we've all had that at some point or another in the theater,
0: yeah well, for me it it came up in uh, a middle school spelling bee. Could you use that in
1: a sentence, please? <laughs> Yo mama has syphilis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when I talk about having it,
1: It. to you, what does it mean? I think it can be summed up in one word, and that is presence. Ah, I like that. I think that whenever somebody takes the stage, they are somebody that you not only are forced for a moment to pay attention to, but it's somebody that you want to pay attention to. Uh, yeah. One actor that I've always noticed has instantaneous it, as you put it, is James Earl Jones. Oh, man. Because not only is he stoic, but he has the voice. And anytime he mm-hmm. is on screen, you just want to watch him. Coming to mm-hmm. America 2 was rancid possum feces. <laughs> but anytime that King Joffy Jofur of Zamunda was on screen, I was transfixed because james yeah. earl jones has it yeah
0: yeah and they just recently named that broadway theater after him too well you know. deserved as well absolutely. absolutely i hear in the
1: i hear in the speech he gave he just got up there and said it's about time and yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, presence there it is yes um
0: uh, <laughs> well anyway speaking of celebrities uh america recently lost
1: one of its favorite celebrities man it's been a year we we lost several we lost several in a week you're gonna have to narrow it down yeah yeah well who i'm talking about
0: is uh retired game show host and staunch Mm. advocate of spaying and neutering pets bob barker passed away at age 99
1: on august 26 2023 yes he was the closest to a hundred without going over. Yeah. <laughs> so he wins both showcases. The sad thing is, I made that joke on TikTok like literally the second after he passed away. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, great joke. It's very wrong. I'm gonna do it. I did it on TikTok, Boom. and then everybody was doing it. I guess everybody had the same idea. And I'm like, <laughs> everybody's gonna think that I'm ripping off everybody else, but I actually just came up with that joke on my own. I- just thought of it but you know
0: as i can see and as most people know many viewers in america fondly remember barker as the host of the price is right the popular morning tv game show in which contestants were selected directly from the audience for a chance to win heaps of cash and prizes and for many bob barker seemed like a well-known glamorous and generous uncle or grandfather you know we could always relate to bob barker i mean Everybody talks about you know how friendly he was, and I I remember yeah, more as yeah he was very warm and welcoming, but there was just kind of that hold over from an older era when a woman would get on stage and uh,
1: he's gonna he gonna
0: nah, he gonna smack yeah give her, him yeah. a big smack or they'd give one to him yeah. and you're like woo Bob you're swimming oh. in it buddy I mean yeah well you know um,
1: <laughs> it's the voice. It's the yeah. voice. Bob Barker had that amazing voice. Bob Barker, yeah. uh, he, let's face it, through kids born in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, this man babysat them while they were homesick. Right? Yes. yes. Uh, he yes. he got us through so many cases of chicken pox and flu and <laughs> hooky and all those other diseases we came up with. Uh-huh. And uh, mm-hmm. him and and Rod Roddy. You can't forget Rod Roddy yes. because they, they oh. were just the duo right there. But yeah, oh. he... Oh. I remember during the pandemic, I actually asked, is Bob Barker OK? Has anybody checked on Bob Barker? Has he been spayed or neutered? Yeah, has he? Well, wow. I'm sure he has been. I think that was the <laughs> I think that was the settlement back in the 80s is that he was supposed to. <laughs> if, if you know, if you know, you know,
0: if uh, if you're going to be kissing all those ladies
1: on stage, we well, want to make sure you're safe. Exactly. You know. When they start bringing up the little water spray balls, like, no, Bob, shh, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember his like super long, very phallic uh, microphone. Yes. he uh, Drew Carey inherited that. Yeah, it was just I don't even know. Is that a real microphone or is that just like a prop? I just don't understand the
0: practicality of it. Like I don't, either. I don't, I don't want to hold up here like I'm licking an ice cream cone. I'd rather hold it down by my navel yeah. so I can speak that way. Maybe <laughs>
1: he's compensating
0: for something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Being
0: neutered anyway. Um, <laughs> but check, but check this out. Bob Barker was the host of Price Is Right
1: from 1972 to 2007. That is incredible. What What is that? 35 years. I didn't even want to live for 35 years. I can't imagine (laughs) having a job for 35 years, but at least it was a fun job. It was a fun job. Any, anything that gets you that close to the Plinko board has got to be fun. Cause who, who has not wanted to climb that Adonis, of yes. game show props and just write things down. I could yeah. get on I could play Plinko and lose everything and I it would still be the greatest day of my
0: life. <laughs> just give me the discs of Just give yes. me a game. It's fun. You know, and when I was growing up right after that soap opera started so you'd finish in in the uh, a Mark Goodson television production. Screen would go black. And yeah. then these pretty people with stupid problems.
1: Oh, would yes. Like through the hourglass. <laughs> oh, all the days of our lives. You know, I had to explain to my students the other day what a soap opera was. They had no oh, idea. Oh, What's a soap yeah. opera? Is, yeah. that like, wow. is that like where people get clean? <laughs> well, <laughs> they, they, very they, dramatically. They, they and got a little it. dirty every once in a while, but no. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew who got anybody pregnant. Anyway, it was always a mystery.
0: But speaking of prices, right? I, I mean, I would say, you know, you and I grew up in similar generation. I think it's hard for us to imagine a world without game shows. You know, they've just been a staple of the environment being parodied in one way or another, or just actually, you know, taken seriously. But that's also because game shows have been around pretty much since the inception of broadcasting. Yes. Yeah. The earliest show. That can be remembered began in 1923 and was run by a newspaper the brooklyn daily eagle which offered a radio broadcast asking stumping questions you know big ones that people might not really know here's a quote in the early stages shows like professor quiz and ask it basket simply asked audience members questions and gave the high scorer 25 dollars quiz kids and information, please. Ask listeners to mail questions in for panelists to answer with a few dollars awarded for people whose questions were stumpers. End quote.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. You're like okay, The, the early some... days of radio has always fascinated me just because they were figuring <laughs> it out all the time. <laughs> like, it blew my mind that they had to pass a law that said a radio station had to stay on one frequency. You couldn't move your frequencies yeah. around because they would move their frequencies around and try to stomp each other out. Oh, yeah, nobody could listen to them. I just Mm -hmm. find that so fascinating, the era of just figuring everything out. (laughs) And then the indignancy of people going, what do you mean we can't do that? I know. (laughs) I'm sorry, I thought this was America. Mm -hmm. Those transatlantic accents. (laughs) How dare you, sir? How dare you? (laughs) What does it say about a country in which we cannot destroy our competition by simply a stronger (laughs) signal? (laughs) What would the founding fathers say? Well, sir, they'd say, what the hell is radio?
0: (laughs) George Washington would say, where are my teeth? They freed who? (laughs) Well, I'm going to go on and give a little bit more of a history of game shows. So we kind of have a springboard and you're probably wondering, why are we talking about this on a theater history podcast? But I promise you, I'll get there. Game shows are theater. They are theater. That's the way I see it. That is not wrong. Now, game shows basically lived on radio until commercial television began in the United States on July 1st, 1941. <laughs> on television, game shows seemed a perfect way to have sponsors front and center in front of viewing audiences. In fact, many sponsors had their names in the title of shows, and many sponsors' products were offered as prizes. So that always cracked me up, too. You know, you're trying to get this young, hip audience that are buying televisions and stuff. And you're like, sponsored by Geritol. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, there you go. Figuring what, it out. What What is Geritol? Is that like a milkshake? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear this, but I have a visitor in my lap.
0: No. Mm. One of your several cats. Oh, goodness. And which one is that? This is Demona. Demona. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad you have a sidekick there who can help you answer some of these questions.
1: She's like, what is a game show? I don't know. Pet me.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Love it. (laughs) So while many viewers enjoyed the programs and tuning in to see how they matched their on-air panelists, there were factions that believed game shows represented illegal lotteries
1: oh goodness of course they did uh-huh the fun police are here <laughs> yeah. wait a minute who's enjoying themselves <laughs> no i want to speak to the manager
0: so yeah these factions actually challenged game shows in court believing them to be illegal lotteries and it was ultimately determined that they were not <laughs> the fun police
1: were sent home yes
0: now These court proceedings were actually brought to the Supreme court in 1954 by the, Oh, they went all the way to
1: the Supreme court. Oh, Supreme court, the Supreme court, because that's Uh what we need them to waste their times on is, you know, game shows, as opposed to them acting like, you know, being on the Supreme court is a game show nowadays. (laughs) Oh, I I just made it to the Supreme court. Look at all my prizes. (laughs) No, I don't have donors. (laughs) Um. Now, Like I said, these were
0: actually brought to the Supreme Court in 1954 by the FCC. So you can imagine just how prolific game shows had become to get this much attention. Oh, yes. By the end of World War II, television was still relatively new in American homes. And by 1950, it's estimated that only 9% of homes had a television set. By the end of the decade, 90% of homes had a television set. good Good times. I know, right? However, game shows suffered heavily in 1955
1: and i know why it's uh-huh. one of my favorite oh, eras oh
0: god if you've ever seen the brilliant movie quiz show you know what i'm talking about yes it seems that many shows were rigging their outcomes behind the scenes and many contestants were getting paid well to go along with scripting television that seemed spontaneous Many former contestants came forward with indisputable evidence that shows were unfair, and by the end of the decade, numerous court proceedings occurred, some in the Supreme Court. Again, the result of this was a flurry of new legislation regulating how game shows could be conducted. And for many years following, game shows seemed to be hiding in embarrassment.
1: that just sucks so bad. My favorite story from that era involved Dr. Joyce Brothers. What? Because, oh, yes, Dr. Joyce Brothers was a contestant on one of those game shows. And I can't remember which one it was, mm-hmm. but she was an extremely intelligent person, just oh, extremely yeah. intelligent. And whenever she found out, for example, that the category that day was going to be sports, she learned everything she could about sports to be ready for the next day. Well, apparently they got tired of her being on the show because you can't oh. have an intelligent woman on the show in 1950s because that makes the men feel upset. And... uh uh-huh. um, so they decided to throw a very unfair question at her that involved sports, but it was about sports referees and thinking that was going to get oh. rid of Dr. Brothers. Well, it turns out Dr. Brothers was a much more intelligent than they assumed <laughs> she was because she saw no differentiation between teams and referees. So she knew <laughs> she knew the answer that they I thought she it. was going to lose. Now I don't know what happened to that because I had a professor told me this in college and that was many years ago. But, uh, yeah. I just, I just love that. So doc, doc, oh, Dr. Man. Brothers, where, wherever you, she has passed away. Hasn't she? Yes. Yeah. Dr. Brothers, so. wherever you are, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Stick it to the man. And obviously didn't crush her fame. No, it did not. Well, I mean, how could you crush your fame by outsmarting the bad guys? That's just, <laughs> that's just amazing. <laughs> yep. Worked for James Bond.
0: Absolutely. Now, game shows launched a minor comeback in the 1960s, doing what they could to regain the affection of American TV audiences with likable content, celebrity guests, modest payout, but
1: ultimately a wholesome time in front of the screen. Absolutely. You know, everybody, Mm -hmm. the American public has a very short attention span. That's, yeah, that's the reason why Bill Cosby will be back one day. Oh, God. He will be. Oh, God. And everybody will say, I missed his wholesome content. (laughs) <laughs> and, and then, then and then you're going yeah.
0: uh
1: watch your drinks <laughs> but what about the mm, yeah and people people will not know what we're talking about yep Bo- mm-hmm. bojack horseman did a brilliant episode about that one time Ooh, where check yeah out. Pe- peter popopoulos who's this giant hippopotamus and he's hosting a game show and during one of the press tours this girl goes well what about all those allegations from those women 10 years ago and everybody's like what?
0: What uh-huh. are you talking what? about? You remember those
1: allegations that were all over the news? What? Yes, they were all over the news. You see everybody in the audience go. They get on their phones and Google, <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> and it just causes this huge scandal again. And it's it's an, an amazing. It, that was an amazing. Oh, that's show. great. They also that's touched great. on game shows for a while, which was oh, uh, was very
0: cool, very uh, timely today. Yes, by the 1970s, when game shows seemed to be somewhat less gauche. Slick and likable producers like Merv Griffin and Mark Goodson found a way to make game shows much more flashy, with lots of colors, uh, really big celebrity guests and hosts, and much bigger cash prices. Yes. And then the syndication of shows and the addition of cable TV in the 70s and 80s allowed for an onslaught of new game shows. Check this. This is ridiculous. I love this. Quote, Game shows blossomed in the 1970s. At one point in the decade, the three major broadcast networks had a total of 19 game shows
1: on the air. Oh my gosh! Half-hour game shows, and there That's were 19 amazing. of them you could watch every day. I remember lots of game shows whenever I was a kid. You know, oh, I, yeah, I loved. Yeah, I love The Price is Right. I loved yep. Press Your Luck was also oh, another one that I just no loved. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Oh yeah, Card Sharks was another Art one sharks? that I loved. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's it's like. I miss that. That and Saturday morning cartoons are just two things that I had that my kids never will, yeah. and I think that is unfair. And you know what? When the game
0: show network started up, I remember going, "Oh my god, I can't wait!" And and you'd turn it on, and you, like two episodes in, you're like, ah eh, what else is on?" Yeah, pretty much.
1: I don't know. <laughs> There's just something. There was something rare about game shows, especially whenever you were a kid, because they were always on while you were in school. So any chance to watch them was special. Right. It was special. It was almost something that was forbidden for small people. And yeah. And now just whenever you have a whole channel devoted to them, it's just not special anymore. Right. Right. You can get it whenever you want. And so it's like, well, I didn't have to go far
0: for that. So here's a, a continuation of this quote. An abundance of syndicated offerings at the same time meant that in some cities, it was possible to have the TV on continuously from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And by switching the channel at the right times, see nothing but game shows. That sounds fun. I know,
1: right? That sounds so fun.
0: (laughs) And see, that's another thing. My mother (laughs) loves Jeopardy. And uh, she has two channels that will play it once at 6 o'clock and once at
1: 6.30. So if you miss 6 o'clock, hey, you're fine. I used to live with my grandmother (laughs) while I was going to college and we had that same situation. Yep. So I would watch Jeopardy at Mm 3.30. And then whenever she watched it (laughs) at 5.30, I would go in there and I would answer all the questions. Mm. And she would just look at me like, we need to get you on this show. You're smart. No, Granny, everybody knows this. Yeah, come on. I had her snowed for about three years that I was this incredibly <laughs> smart person, but I was cheating the entire time. So, what me, happened I'm, when she finally found I'm out? So- she never found out, but she knows Ow! now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm struck there, by lightning. Either. That was not God. That was my grandmother. Like, you little sub bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be a much shorter episode. Yes, uh, <laughs> it will be. But what a climax!
0: Yeah, yeah. By the 1990s, though, the golden era of game shows seemed to be coming to a close. Cable networks tried to reach their target audiences with the most success coming out of Nickelodeon and their shows like Double Dare, Nick Arcade and Legends of the Hidden Temple. Love Double
1: Dare. Oh my God. Right. Whenever I was a kid, I went to Universal Studios whenever they had Nickelodeon Studios open there yeah. and I got to see the Double Dare stage in person. Oh. They weren't filming, but I got to see oh. the stage and I just remember just looking over the stage of where I wanted to be so badly and these hopes and dreams were, and just looking at it thinking it's so small. it, <laughs> it was. Yeah. yeah. How do they fit all of the obstacles in there? I right? still don't know to this day. I'll watch old episodes. and I'm like, that's that show that stage just looks so much bigger there, but it was so small in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sound
0: stages often are. And and, and, yeah, it's crazy. I've I've gone to live tapings of shows before, too. And, you know, when they pan out over the crowd and everything, it's really quick and everything. And you don't see it all that much. I've been I went to The Tonight Show when Jay Leno was running it several times when I was in college. And I think that audience sat about, I don't know, maybe 500 to 600. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't huge. But I mean, you're just like, whoa, okay, yeah, I thought (laughs) there was like, don't fall off the stage, Jay. Yeah. (laughs) By 1994, The Price is Right was and still is the only classic style game show run specifically on one major network. All the rest, including the most popular, like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and Family Feud, are syndicated. So any local channel can run them. By the end of the 90s and into the 2000s, game shows made a transition to either big studio, high stakes programs like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or The Weakest Link, or they would become long-term reality competition series like Survivor or The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. However, some markets seem to pine for the good old days and shows like Let's Make a Deal, The $100,000 Pyramid, those ones have been rebooted for a modern audience, but with homage to the classics. I love that. I I, I mean, yes. I remember. You know, you tell people about you don't know about the sixty four thousand dollar question. They're like, on a game show, that's not a lot of money. <laughs> You're like it was back then, it was a huge deal. Oh,
1: gosh, I loved watching that the last round where that where the one person is trying to get the other one to guess the the question and just <laughs> the frustration. Oh, and yeah. the anguish <laughs> was. Delicious. I think that's the one show that I enjoyed more whenever they lost mm-hmm. than when they won, <laughs> just because the reactions. That one and Super Password. I just loved oh, those two.
0: I uh, I remember a stand-up comedian at some point going, "Is it just me or are celebrity guests on a game show like uh, telepathic?" And he's like, <laughs> "I remember watching Password once, and and it was like, okay, Betty White, you go ahead and ask the uh, ask Tim here from Akron, Ohio, see if he can guess the password." And she sits there and looks at him and goes, food.
1: And he goes, hmm, rhubarb. And yep, that was it. Absolutely. Yes, Betty White, <laughs> Betty White had powers that none of us could comprehend. <laughs> and anybody sitting at home that ever questioned them, like, I think Betty White may have powers. Betty White would just on TV, just look at the screen like this. And it would instantly silence you.
0: I can't remember. And you'd wet your pants and have to run. Food.
1: On the road. <laughs> <laughs> Rhubarb.
0: <laughs> now, even though there have been a plethora of game show titles, formats, styles, types of prizes, etc., there is one thing that has been virtually consistent in all game shows. The one person managing the game, mediating between contestants, and just overall, they're the master of ceremonies, the game show host. And that's what we're talking
1: about today as game show hosts. All the women want him, and all the men want to be him.
0: Oh man, in the most outlandish fashions, especially mm-hmm. in the 70s. My oh, god, butterfly collars and yes. plaid. And and what couch did you Just, have to strip to get that? I love yes.
1: that hair. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh my gosh. Just I want it it needs to come back. I want right? the upholstery suits to come back. Yes, absolutely. Now in the early days of game shows, since
0: most of the hosts were on the radio, a lot of shows would hire a radio man for their television programs. Mike Richards, executive producer for Both the Price is Right and Let's Make a Deal, refers to these early hosts as middle-aged men, quote, with a great voice and great hair, basically a radio guy who had a face for TV. <laughs> I can see that, yes. Right right and and i in my research i looked so many of these guys up and they're like and so and so started out as a disc jockey for blah, 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 blah. and this person started out as the weather uh, you know for blah 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 and you're like oh well i guess that makes sense because you know you think of a game show host and you think
1: of the guy with a really great voice and absolutely you know. it's the, the the reason why the tv hosts of the 70s 80s usually were um weathermen or newscasters yeah. on uh, You know, because Pat Sajak, I believe, was a was a meteorologist and uh, Mm -hmm. even Oprah Winfrey. I know it's not a it's not a game show, but Oprah Winfrey was a television anchor for the very longest time. So it's just a continuation of that. Right. So if you're a producer
0: and you're getting ready to pick your game show host, it has to be somebody affable and approachable. It has to be somebody who can keep a million parts going of a show that could potentially have infinite outcomes by the end of a single episode. So the host has to be somebody who an audience can trust to be, quote, this is a quote I found some like somebody listed these out. Here's your essential game show host characteristics, part traffic cop, part stand up comedian and part. Kindly uncle, I can see that. Yes,
1: <laughs> all of them <laughs> always encouraging you during these games, no matter how stone dumb you are, right? Right, and yes. sometimes they have to look at somebody and let them down hard yes. or let them down easy, you know. Yes, Price is Right bloopers were always my favorite. Uh, so oh, speak. going back to Bob Barker, oh. we've all seen the one where that woman did not understand high low. Oh, yeah. And still won by the end, just out of sheer luck. And Bob Barker, I've never seen him that that unbuckled before. He had to sit down at the end, just like <laughs> <laughs> shake his head, take a breath, pray. What, what just happened? <laughs> he, he had a cadence to his voice. I, I try to imitate oh, celebrities. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with Bob Barker because no one right. sounds like him. No one has ever sounded like him. I don't think anybody will ever sound like him. He was on an episode of, yeah, he was a guest star in an episode of Spongebob one time. And I didn't realize it was Bob Barker, but I just thought, oh, that sounds like Bob Barker. That is Bob Barker. (laughs) Spongebob. We're here to take care of the snails, Spongebob. Have them spayed and neutered. I don't know what it is about his voice. And I've never heard anybody else imitate him either. That's the funny no. part. None no. of the celebrity image. need to get a hold of uh, the dude with the with the puppets. What's his name? Frank something or other. Frank Caliendo? Is oh, that Caliendo. Him? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need to get a hold of him. Can you do Bob Barker? If he can't do it, nobody can. That's true. Yeah. But if he tries, his head may explode. So let's And not. The,
0: you know what? He may be <laughs> one of those inimitable people. It's like... It's just a, a spoken code. It's like we don't
1: do Bob. Yeah, we don't, we don't do Bob. No. No. Yeah. Bob Bob does not like that. Well, Bob's not with us. He still doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: given those characteristics, it shouldn't be hard to understand that when some game shows needed to grow their audience, television producers would look to another market where performers would have those aforementioned qualities on a nightly basis. Broadway.
1: Broadway.
0: <laughs> so, um, I'm going to go ahead and kick things off here with Broadway actors who then eventually became game show hosts. And <laughs> this is a fantastic list. Uh, we'll start with Groucho Marx. I would that would that be Broadway or would that be vaudeville? Oh, he did he did he did it all. I'll give you a okay. bit. A okay, yeah, here. Groucho
1: yeah. would do it all, wouldn't he?
0: Yep, In the post-World War II heyday of game show popularity, before the big bust in 1955, one such program was You Bet Your Life, a quiz show in which several contestants would be brought out two at a time, they're total strangers to each other, and they would depend upon each other to answer several questions. The contestants could also win money if they would guess a secret word that was revealed to the audience before the contestants got on stage. As their first host, producers hired longtime comedy favorite Groucho Marx. And by this time in his career, Groucho Marx hit something of a slump. So in the 50s, yeah, he, he wasn't doing much. Groucho officially began his career as a child in a singing act, all meant to bring in money to his low income family. And eventually his brothers got into the act, the Marx brothers, and they went on the road. But at this time, they were not known as the Marx brothers. As a singing group, they were known as the Four Nightingales. Or when they performed with their mother and aunt, they were known as the six mascots. And I couldn't figure out why. I don't think they brought out heads and, you know, played different animals for sports teams or anything. But that's just what they call themselves. (laughs) And their act was a pretty far cry from what we know as the Marx Brothers today. They would sing classical serious or operatic songs and perform dramatic readings very somber stuff indeed.
1: <laughs> There's hope for me to be a comedy legend, in other words. There it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine
0: Groucho Marks getting out there with a the skull and go, ah, last poyaric. I knew I'm well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the waste of times. Speaking of the waste of times, you know, we do need some money right now.
0: <laughs> now they got their start in comedy in 1912 after a rather fateful night in an opera house in Nagadoches, Texas. Ah,
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nacogdoches know it well um, uh uh-huh
0: it seems that in the middle of their act someone ran by their venue the Nacogdoches Opera House shouting about a runaway mule and apparently due to the lack of sensational news happening right at that moment and the nature of their show (laughs) Uh, a number (laughs) of people heard this runaway mule and they got up from their seats in the Marks Brothers show to investigate the hubbub. You hear that, Gladys? There's a <laughs> runaway mule outside. We need to get out there and go take a look-see. Did he say runaway mule? I think he did, Jethro. Let's go!
1: I tried to see the runaway mule, but it done run away too fast. (laughs) Yep. We're going to stay out here on the street (laughs) and wait and see if maybe it might run away right past us again. Actually, what they did was they then just went back to their seats because the show is still going on.
0: And soon after they returned, the Marx Brothers went off script from their usual (laughs) singing routine to have fun at the audience's expense for leaving the show. (laughs) And here are a couple of quips directly from Groucho. Nagadoches is full of cockroaches. It's a good one. The jackass is the state flower of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and it just came to him. He was 22. He was, you know, he's sitting there doing all these serious songs and everything. And then he's like, I
1: don't know. Hell with it. You guys left our show. We can we can make fun of you. It's kind of funny. If you've ever read Howard Stern's book, that's kind uh-huh. of what started his 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 persona on the radio is that he was doing a straight radio um, interview. And I don't even remember what it's wrong, what it's been. It's been years since I've read that book. But something just set him off to where he just started going off on the air. Yeah. like, Yeah. You believe this guy just does this, this, this and this. It's just it's just funny how history parallels itself with entertainment. Oh, yeah. I just love that. that Yeah. But check this out. Rather than being offended
0: by being made fun of directly on stage. The audience ate it up. <laughs> I read some article where they're like, obviously the Marx brothers didn't understand the Texas sense of humor. Yeah, there's <laughs> nothing
1: you can say to a Texan we don't say to ourselves every morning when we wake mm-hmm. up and look in a mirror.
0: <laughs> That's right. I am dumb and fat and stupid. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, good.
1: You got you you gotta you gotta really dig deep to hurt one of our feelings. <laughs> what? Our state is dry and never rains? I didn't notice. Goodness. I'm so glad that you pointed that out. We got dumb people in our state? No. You got our number there, didn't
0: you? All right. So the audience loved this so much, and it became such a buzz that it got around to neighboring communities, and their act, therefore, was
1: hired to come perform insult comedy to Texan audiences. I love it. I love it. That just... That just seems so groucho to me. Yeah. I could I can hear it. I don't know. I can hear it over the mm-hmm. last century. It's just filtering through the time stream, and I can just hear this, this act in Nacogdoches, Texas. Mm-hmm. So I could hear sure? Groucho Oh, so we're in Texas, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Where a jackass running down the street is such big news. I thought you had jackasses running down the street every day. <laughs> oh, you got my number there, Groucho. Okay. Yep. <laughs> right. I like this guy. Let's not hang him. <laughs> <laughs> we was gonna hang you before you started making jokes now we like you you need a mustache and, a, and <laughs> take this cigar right there do like this all right oh yeah you get to live today what an origin story
0: <laughs> No. so when the brothers found they had an aptitude for comedy soon after they developed themselves into the characters we know and love like groucho with his trademark glasses his grease paint mustache the cigar and stupid Ovo when he walked you know Their act became such a popular traveling vaudeville act that they eventually were hired to perform on Broadway in the 1920s, where they primarily remained for most of the decade. Mm. They were a huge draw to Broadway. And their biggest hits on Broadway were the plays I'll Say She Is, The Cocoa Nuts, as in like hot cocoa, and Animal Crackers. Those last two were developed into some of their more popular movies. Now, after a lot of complications with moving their act to Hollywood, switching studios and interference from with their work from studio heads, can you imagine, <laughs> the brothers eventually broke up. Their last film together was in 1949. But from the 1930s on, Groucho had been establishing himself as a solo act, which is mainly why he was chosen as the host of You Bet Your Life. The show was originally broadcast on radio in 1947 and then moved to television in 1950. And the show was quite charming. And to put the contestants at ease, you know, they're on live television. They don't really know how to act or, you know, where do I put my hands, you know? So Groucho would often just kind of warm them up with uh, friendly interviews when they would come on stage, often tinged with his off-color brand of humor. They even allowed him to have his duck prop hold the secret word at the beginning of the show.
1: Which has become iconic, even if you've never seen... If you've never seen that show, you know the whole thing about a duck falling from the ceiling with a word in its mouth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, I often thought that you know, whenever I was a kid, I got my historical events mixed up. I I actually thought Groucho ripped off Pee-wee Herman with the secret word, and then I realized, oh no, I'm <laughs> like, Groucho was like 40 years before Pee-wee Herman. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, Groucho, yeah. Pee-wee Herman kind of ripped you off, but the, by that point, it's an homage. It's not a rip-off. It's yeah. an homage. Yeah. We
0: just lost Pee-wee, too.
1: We That's did. Cool. This, 2023 has not been kind this last no. month. No, but...
0: Check this out. Groucho's banter has led to one of the best television urban legends. When interviewing a woman who was a contestant on the show, he asked her if she and her husband had any children. She said yes. It depends on who tells the story, but when asked how many children she had, in the version I read, the woman replied, 20. Wow. Yeah. That's commitment. Uh Uh-huh. Groucho was quite shocked and asked the woman, why so many? The woman replied, well, I love my husband.
1: Apparently, yes.
0: Yes, yes. After a moment, Groucho (laughs) replied, well, I love cigars, but every now and then I take them out of my mouth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Amazing. Amazing.
0: While Groucho has denied he said this in interviews years later, this became something of a where were you when Kennedy died moment for many who claimed to <laughs> either have been there or they saw him say it on television and the episode was never aired again. hmm. <laughs> in any case, Groucho was so popular as the host that he remained on the show for 11 years, even winning an Emmy for the show in 1951. Groucho retired from the show in 1961, but quickly came back with a short lived reboot. Tell it to Groucho which lasted only one season. But Groucho was not the only Broadway performer the game show producers recruited for their abilities to draw an audience in. I will include him here because according to him, Art Fleming, host of the original Jeopardy that ran from 1964 to 1974, he said he was cast in a Broadway musical at age four. But
1: in all my research, I couldn't find out which one. How long he was on Broadway. I don't even know what I was doing at age four. I could have been in a Broadway musical (laughs) at age four, and I don't know. I'm
0: pretty sure. Oh, we just went swimming. I thought it was a Broadway musical. (laughs) Anyway, Art Fleming. Here, I'm going to send you. I I told myself I was going to do this. I was going to send you pictures. So I'm going to send you a picture of Art Fleming here.
1: Aaron. Oh, my gosh. I didn't ask for that. I know. I'm saving know. it, but, you know, I am. Yeah, yeah. And I'll uh, keep you to secrecy on that. Um, okay.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, there, there he mean, is. I mean, wow. Yeah. Very crisp, very clean, yeah. very open expression. Like, you know, if if he just walked into your house, you'd be like, uh, yes, I will sit down and have a conversation with you.
1: Kind of looks like a younger version of the drill sergeant from uh, Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> you will answer this question and you will do it now. Private Pyle. Yeah. <laughs> What is your major malfunction for one hundred, Allen?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Vincent D'Onofrio. Anyway, <laughs> Art Fleming got his job because producer Merv Griffin was looking for someone with the qualities I mentioned early on: part traffic cop, part stand-up comedian, and part kindly uncle. He found Art Fleming on an ad for Trans World Airlines and had him tracked down. Basically,
1: <laughs> like a print
0: ad. Oh no! It was it was a TV ad, but oh, he okay. was like, "That's my guy." Didn't see him on any of the other TV shows he'd, he'd already appeared on. He was like a regular, a, a series regular
1: on the Californians, I guess. But no, saw him on that ad. I could just see him seeing Art Fleming on an ad saying, that's the guy. I want that guy. Them spending days, weeks, months tracking down this guy, showing up in the office going, we want you to be the newest host of Jeopardy. That's amazing. I love Jeopardy. <laughs> when do I start? <laughs> oh was i dubbed in the commercial yeah so what i'll take dogs for 100 please
0: no i'm sorry the answer was nicodemus
1: your answer must be in the form of a question you galoot. Well, what's the matter with you you knows how this game works all right let's do the final jeopardy now because i'm tired I got some broads in the car, some broads and some blow. Let's go. (laughs) You know what? You're the winner because you haven't pissed me off today. That's been Jeopardy, everybody. Good night. Uh,
0: Maybe we shouldn't have picked him just from an ad. I don't know. (laughs) Now, to state it quite quickly, because we have several more people to cover, Fleming brought a lot of credibility and comfort back to the game show biz. But here's a great story. Fleming was really known to be quite the master of trivia as well. When he appeared on Hollywood Squares years after he was done with Jeopardy, a particularly difficult question about female tennis champions was asked. For those who don't remember, the premise of Hollywood Squares was two contestants would pick an individual from a panel of celebrity guests. It's a legendary the, show. It's a great show. Legendary. The host would then ask a trivia question to the celebrity, and the celebrity would respond. Sometimes they were right, sometimes they were not. Then the contestant would agree or disagree, and the answer would be revealed. If the contestant chose correctly, they would advance, et cetera, et cetera. So when Fleming had this question about female tennis champions, Fleming gave his response, and the female contestant said, Art Fleming would never lie. I agree.
1: She was correct. <laughs> okay, that's, that's awesome. I love that. That's, that's the kind of man who could take over the world. Right. Taylor Swift and Art Fleming as a presidential ticket. That's Swift it. Fleming. Yes, Swift Fleming. That, that sounds, sounds like a disease. Like, <laughs> yeah. That would be why I had to stay home and watch The Price Is Right with Bob Barker. Sorry, I I have Swift Fleming today. I have Swift Fleming.
0: Or, <coughs> I mean,
1: I heard it right away and and thought it might be
0: a seventies porno, but or a, a porn actor. Swift well, that would Fleming.
1: be uh, that'd be Swift Martindale right there. <laughs> you remember it. Wink Martindale. Oh my God! I used to call him Stink Fart and Smell. Yep, yep. Which was not nice, but yeah, I don't know. You, you can't have a you can't have a name like Wink Martindale and not think of stink, fart, and smell. Uh huh. Yep.
0: I keep seeming to do this with my episodes where I front load with a lot of exposition to set the world up. But I thought the history of game shows was so interesting. Especially when there's a period of time that caused game show producers to be innovative and start thinking hey, let's hire Broadway actors. Seemed like a perfect fit. But before we get back to the second half, I'll encourage you to rate and review the show wherever you're listening. Doing so configures the algorithms of each platform to get this show to more and more listeners. So you're doing something right. As of now, we're number eight In theater podcasts on Feedspot, and we've been listed elsewhere, so keep it up. But for now, let's get back to Jason Roy Gaston and find out just how many more Broadway actors have become game show hosts. So yeah, Fleming did win over a lot of people, and and they trusted him. But moreover, it was his appearances and his personality on Jeopardy that were instrumental for helping the television audience restore its faith in game shows. So absolutely essential for that was trust in your host, right? Yes. So producers started to see that perhaps a well-trusted actor with a great personality could be just as good as the slew of radio men with faces for TV. Now, I'm going to try to get these, the rest of these out in as much detail as I can. But as I said, we have a lot to go over.
1: Yes, I will try not to interrupt as much as I have been.
0: You're absolutely fine. That's why I have you on the show. (laughs) Provide me some damn content.
1: Well, fine. You asked for it. (laughs) This is going to be a four-hour show.
0: Wonderful. Love it. (laughs) By the end of this list, though, I think we're going to start to see some common threads. Next one. A very popular staple in the genre of game shows. Oh, my Siri just turned on. Let me say, nope. Thanks, Siri. I'm done.
1: Siri will be hosting a game show before we know it.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, this whole thing with AIs. is like, Hal, can you please open the pod bay doors
1: for 500? I'm sorry. I don't understand (laughs) that. (laughs) Uh, it'll be the post-apocalyptic show after the after the nuclear war. It'll be hosted by Siri, you know. Bing! I am sorry. <laughs> you are wrong. You must die. <laughs> and it'll be... Yeah, well, it'll be four skeletons
0: behind podiums. Oh. Know, yeah. So let me start that again. A very popular figure in the genre of game shows was the host of several game shows over the years, including Make the Connection, Choose Up Sides, Do-Re-Mi, and Tic-Tac-Do. But the show that is most often associated with Gene Rayburn... Mm. is the match game. Yes. yeah. Rayburn. I'm going to send you that, too. Oh, my gosh.
1: I loved the match game so much whenever I was a kid. I did not understand any of the innuendos. Oh, my God. They knew what they were. I I don't know how they got those past the the sensors. I really (laughs) don't, because even today, I can watch some of that and just go, oh, my God, what? Wow. Yeah. He's got the Bob Barker mic. He does have the Bob Barker mic. Oh my God! Oh my I wonder God. if that—I wonder if that is the mic. That oh. you think they just passed it down to each <laughs> other, or do they steal it from each other, kind of like Highlander?
0: Well, yeah, they were filmed at different times and in different stages. They're like,
1: "Is Bob done with it? Please, give me." I'm sorry, there can be only one. I'm afraid you've been canceled.
0: Gene's got to go stick it in Phyllis Diller's face right now. Um,
1: <laughs> oh my!
0: So for my listeners that are not familiar with the match game let me just describe this and why jason and i are so (laughs) kind of like wow this is a show on which contestants would try to win money and prizes by matching a blank in a phrase with a panel of live in-person celebrity guests and very often the celebrity guests would come from the worlds of comedy film television or stage when the show first started in 1962 It was pretty much just wholesome fun, but made several changes through the 1960s, and it was briefly canceled in 1969, only to be rebooted in 1973. So that 60s version would be things like, you know, you'd have different song lyrics or something like that. And, and, you know, they'd be mm -hmm. like, okay, uh, Marjorie, the uh, phrase is great balls of blank. And then you're like, okay, so great balls of fire. Maybe they can do that. But, you know, the celebrity guests would start coming up with things that were a little raunchy. A little
1: raunchy, yes. Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) And and, um, when it was rebooted in 1973, the producers took an idea from one of the iterations in the 1960s and would start to write more suggestive lines for the contestants and guests to fill in. So it was the producers who really started this up. Yeah. they
1: they knew what they were doing. Yeah, they they yep. weren't sitting there letting Betty White like run things. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna, write, I'm gonna do it. you can penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. penis. I I have the only (laughs) probably asked these questions to Betty White. She's like, oh, God, they're wanting me to do a euphemism of penis. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it would it would
0: become something like Little Miss Muffet sat down on a blank. And, you know, you'd try to match and then it would always be something awful. You know, Uh, you'd have a Richard Dawson from Family Feud. (laughs) Little Miss Muffet sat down on my lap.
1: (laughs) another another handsy smoochy guy by the way oh yes. my god yeah who married one of his contestants by the way and they stayed together forever hey you know what at least uh-huh. that, at least monogamy came from it i don't know i mean yeah mm-hmm. I, I i swear that was like that they should have called that the dating game It was like, oh, hello madrin hello <laughs> hello, hello johnny <laughs> <laughs> i meet everyone with my tongue you're welcome yes it's how we do things on my planet <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah the producers wrote these suggestive lines and then the celebrity guests are like well if you're going there i'm gonna go there too and they would respond with more and more lurid answers which made the show way more fun oh, when yeah. john wants to uh seduce his wife he often puts on his blank and oh my god the answers that would come were just fantastic
1: <laughs> uh those the 70s celebrities were perverts too Yeah, yeah i mean it's, it fits in perfectly because it wasn't the dating game and the The newlywed game game, during that time. Uh Yeah, Uh because there's a legendary answer that was given on the the (laughs) newlywed game. Mm. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to make love? And mm. (laughs) she was truthful (laughs) with her answer, which is funny because you were talking about how Groucho (laughs) asked that question Uh and he Uh denied it ever happened. Oh, yeah. Bob Eubanks denied that that ever happened. And then somebody found the tape. And it did happen, and the tape was so funny, they actually put it in the movie Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. So if you ever watch that movie and you see that clip about where the favorite place to make love is, that's actually from the newlywed game. And that's that's the infamous clip. I love it. Yes. So in the
0: match game, frequent guests were, as we mentioned, game show host Richard Dawson, Brett Summers, Phyllis Diller. Phyllis Diller. Rip Taylor. Uh (laughs) oh yes stars from the tv series mash we've talked about her several times betty white tim conway and charles nelson riley (laughs) that's a good charles nelson riley i like that Ah, ah, ah. anyway back to gene rayburn by the time he became the host of the show in 1962 rayburn was already really familiar to american audiences as the announcer for nbc tonight with steve allen which eventually became the late night show the tonight show but even before that Rayburn was known in this way, quote, he was the Howard Stern of the 1940s, not necessarily in terms of content, but in terms of popularity. He was a morning disc jockey that owned New York City, end quote. And with his partner, D. Finch, they hosted the show Rayburn and Finch on WNEW and more or less created the drive to work morning radio show and were able to make quite a few palatable but stinging bits of commentary on pop culture, music and politics. So everybody just kind of trusted him and his very slick voice. And, you know, he wasn't a terrible looking guy. He's friendly enough, at least, you know, he's He's no lady killer, but at the same time, they're like,
1: ah, you're passable." That, that we know
0: of. I mean, <laughs> acquitted acquitted. However, from a very young age, Gene had always wanted to try his hand at acting. And this is where the link to Broadway comes in. In 1961, he got the opportunity to prove himself as an actor by taking over the lead role in the original production of Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. Wow. He played the role from April 9th, 1961, until the show closed October 7th, 1961. So he got a good six months out of it. But here's some other fun trivia about that show. How did Gene get this opportunity? Because the original lead got another gig. Dick Van Dyke had to leave to create the Dick Van Dyke
1: Show. Oh, wow. What a choice. What a choice.
0: (laughs) I mean, what shoes to fill. Who came before me? Dick Van Dyke?
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. I could just see take the first time you take the stage, some guy <laughs> in the back goes,
0: that's not Dick Van Dyke. Who is that?
1: <laughs> you just, lied to me.
0: <laughs> I drove 4,000 miles to see Dick Van Dyke. You're going to give me Dick Van Dyker. At least put Groucho Marx out here to insult me. <laughs> I'll take that out of your mouth. <laughs> Now, here's another fun piece of trivia. Who was Gene's understudy for this production of Bye Bye Birdie? If you say Bob Barker, I'm going to quit. His frequent celebrity panelist on the match game, Charles Nelson Reilly. Charles
1: Nelson <laughs> Reilly.
0: Oh, Ow. Ow.
1: <laughs> I love Charles Nelson Reilly, but my favorite thing he ever did was The X-Files. He's <laughs> in one episode of The X-Files, and it's called Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And to me, it's one of the greatest hours of television ever made. And I'm not even being sarcastic. It is Uh such a good episode of TV. Even if you never watch The X-Files, you just watch this and think, wow, what a great story. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Anyway, Rayburn returned to Broadway in 1962 in a Neil Simon play, Come Blow Your Horn. But even then, he was a replacement. (laughs) Come blow your blank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm thinking trombone oh (laughs) no that's incorrect but even in this he was a replacement and the run soon ended afterwards when he came on board so i guess it's a good thing he had the match game to fall back on (laughs) (laughs) okay lightning round even though it's not going to be lightning i have uh, these are going to be long too (laughs) the very popular host of many game shows larry blyden is best remembered as the host for the reboot of the show, What's My Line, from 1972 to 1974, when the show was discontinued. However, Larry Blyden had an incredible career before that show with a resume that any actor could aspire to. And here's a here's just a fun little anecdote that I found in, the, in my research, so I'm going to add it. As a young man, he was neighbors with another actor, Rip Torn. Oh my gosh,
1: <laughs> we're just hitting all of the match game panels, Boom. aren't we?
0: Yep. And as young men, they would often travel in the same circles. And before he changed his name to Larry Blyden, his surname, which was a Jewish name, was pronounced Bleedin. Rip Torn would always joke about his friendship with Larry. I'm Torn and he's (laughs) bleeding. Now, Blyden often claimed that he arrived in New York as a young man with nine dollars in his pocket. He studied at the Stella Adler School, which is known for teaching the well-known method style of acting, which I've talked about on this show quite a bit. Yeah. And he left within two years and in later interviews claimed that the method did, quote, more harm than good for actors.
1: I agree. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I've been pretty vocal about that myself. There's a... I'm sorry. I know I keep interrupting, but this is... No, you're you're good. Yes. Uh, My my theater teacher one time told me that um, Dustin Hoffman... To prepare for his role in, and I cannot remember the name of the movie for the life of me. It's I've gone blank with a brain fart. So when are you? Are you going to tell thrilled.
0: me the, the story about Marathon Man?
1: Yes, Marathon Man. I am. <laughs> where Justin Hoffman to play this role, where he was being tortured, stayed up for hours and days and days on end, didn't shower, and he's he's in this he's in this chair, he's flubbing his lines because he's so tired. And of course, the great Sir Lawrence Olivier is standing. Yes, there. and he says, <laughs> Yeah, Dustin Hoffman." are you okay? Oh yes, I'm fine. You see, I've I've been, I've been uh, staying up for days so that I, I I can perfectly be a man who's been tortured. And Sir Lawrence Olivier just looks at him and says, my dear boy, have you tried acting?
0: (laughs) I love that story. I love that story so much. (laughs) So wonderful. I love, Uh, I I
1: wish I could go back in time and just buy Sir Lawrence Olivier a drink over that one. Oh man. And,
0: and, you know, I I Larry's been a, a I I talk, I call him Larry cuz
1: everybody else did and I'm like, well, we're familiar. <laughs> I'm on a theater history podcast so I know of you Of course, of course. I'm sure he knows all about you. Yes.
0: And of course, he's known for, you know, like completely changing his appearance and making sure he has different gait and stance and everything. Yes. I mean, his his Othello is still incredibly controversial cuz it's like Paint me black. <laughs>
1: uh, no you heard me i am sir laurence <laughs> olivier i was zeus or i will be one day <laughs> they all thought i was crazy but who's crazy now
0: <laughs> well anyway leaving uh the uh stella adler school didn't break larry blyden's stride though over the uh 50s 60s and 70s among a string of television bit parts canceled sitcoms and a few film appearances here's just a
1: short list of the Broadway shows that Larry Blyden was in. And before that, I'm going to send you his picture. Let me see if I, I'm pretty sure I got it. Giving you my personal phone number was a mistake. I'm just going to say I that. didn't get a picture of Larry Blyden. Anyway. Oh my goodness. That's fine. Anyway. No, uh, I'm going to have nothing but nudes and pictures of game show hosts on here. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: hmm. Which ones will he save? Well, so, you know, that's for me to yep. know. <laughs> <laughs> so here's
0: a list of Broadway shows wish you were here a Joshua Logan musical in 1952 to 1953 the original production of flower drum song a Rogers and Hammerstein musical in 1958 and 1959 and Blyden actually it's set in Asia so they had to have a lot of Asian actors oh dear and yeah it's 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 a fairly controversial piece today if people are going to do it and and yeah. you know I mean you got casting and the part is yeah. written to not be always the kindest yeah. to uh, Asians uh, but one thing that was cool that Larry Blyden did was he had a like he ran an acting school for the Asian performers in this thing because they were just kind of plucked because they looked Asian. And so he's like, Well, I guess since you got to be here on Broadway, I'll teach you how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way of
1: putting it. <laughs> yep. Sir, I don't know where I am. I was just on my way to school and somebody threw <laughs> me into a truck and said, I'm in a play. <laughs> oh, well, we'll find your parents. And uh, yeah, you're going to be great, kid. Excuse me, I'm a doctor. They took me out of surgery. <laughs> Is my patient dead? Yes, he's dead, uh, but you're in a play now. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, here are your points for your equity card, and uh, you're <laughs> welcome. We get a coffee break every four hours.
1: <laughs> it's all right. Your patient was one of the people who started the game show cheating scandal of the 50s. It's fine. Boom. Yes. Larry Blyden
0: directed a comedy called Harold, starring Anthony Perkins and Don Adams.
1: <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. And Hannibal Lecter and Hannibal Lecter and Agent no, uh, Inspector no. Gadget. No, Anthony not Pickens. Hannibal Lecter. Uh uh, uh uh Oh my gosh, uh, Psycho. Ring, ring, ring. Um, yes, exactly. Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Wow. That Norman was another Bates brain part.
0: And Agent 88.
1: Yes. <laughs> did he did he do the voice of Inspector
0: Gadget? Surely yeah.
1: he had to. Okay. I thought he mm-hmm. did. Yes, he did. Either that or was a really good impressionist.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, that show only ran for 20 performances and then it was canceled.
1: I wish Inspector Gadget had only run for 20 performances and then was canceled. But, you know, I was not a fan.
0: No, neither was I. I
1: was I was one of the only kids every time I heard Dun 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 dun, Inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Let's
0: see. uh, Larry Blyden played Hysterium in a revival of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum in 1972, for which he won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. He ended his stage career in the Alan Akeborn comedy Absurd Person Singular, which he played from 1973 until his death in 1975. For playing that role, he was nominated for both the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Featured Actor in a Play, as well as the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play. So (laughs) you're like, but everybody seems to remember him as the host of What's My Line? And despite all of this success in popular culture, that's how he's known as a celebrity guest host and panelist and this apparently did not
1: sit well well i mean it's logical though because more people would have seen him doing that than right people who would go sit in a theater yeah right exactly exactly and like i said this apparently did
0: not sit well with him according to sources he always wanted to make it in film But by the time of his greatest successes in the 1970s, he was in his 50s, and it just simply wasn't really a place to make him a star or even a character actor in film. In 1975, despite the success of his absurd person singular, he felt somewhat detached from the cast and took a vacation to Morocco. There, he had an unfortunate automobile accident and died from his injuries sustained in the wreck. At the time of his death, he was scheduled to host a new game show, Show Offs which was basically a televised version of the party game charades.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So did that one ever air or do we know?
0: Oh, when Blyden died, producers had to find a replacement for him. They thought they had struck gold by hiring a venerated Broadway actor as their host, so they looked for someone with a similar resume. They found it in Bobby Van. And here he comes. There's Bobby Van right in your phone right now. Bobby Van. Okay. Bobby Van. Okay. You okay.
1: Know? Oh, okay. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I don't trust that man. No, no, no. He's just,
0: mm, there's something about him.
1: Something that's, tells me, something tells me he did something in his life to put him on a list. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know if that's what happened. I'm just saying that's what it looks like. Yep. Now, Bobby's resume was very similar to Larry Blyden's
0: in that he had been in several Broadway musicals and even did choreography for some. Bobby was nominated for a Tony Award for his appearance in nineteen in the 1971 revival of No-No Nanette, for which he also did the choreography. Bobby had a lot more success in film than Larry Blyden, though, even appearing in the film adaptation of the very popular musical Kiss Me, Kate. And a cute story about how he chose his stage name. He was born Robert Jack Stein. As many Jewish artists have done to remove any unfortunate connotations and anti-Semitic prejudice that comes when you go into casting, Bobby altered his name and made the legal change years later. He chose the surname Van, recalling how, growing up, his sister had a poster of singer Van Johnson on her wall, and based on the reaction of the female followers of Van and how they'd swoon over him, Van just became his stage name and then, as I said, his permanent name (laughs)
1: whatever works whatever
0: works for you absolutely and he actually got the opportunity to perform with Van Johnson in Damn Yankees in like a a, like a regional version and I I think it was I wonder if he told them do you think do you think he told
1: them like I changed my name because of you okay that's great can you step back please (laughs) I love how you can make women all all smushy (laughs) I love how you can make women all blank (laughs) Betty White, smushy. (laughs) Richard Dawson, mine. (laughs) Bob Barker, spayed or neutered? (laughs) Oh, man. Bobby
0: Van went on to host several game shows in the 1970s besides show-offs and often appeared with his wife as a celebrity panelist on a number of game shows as she was also a Broadway choreographer. So, yeah, they found Bobby Van. But, When I first ran this topic by close friends of the show who I run ideas by, they all said, name some game show hosts. And of course, people knew Groucho Marx and Gene Raber. Larry Blyden and Bobby Van, not everybody remembers their names, but knew their faces. But this name was the one that everyone went, oh, yes, I remember him. And here he comes, Bert Convy.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
0: What a great perm! Look at that! I oh gosh, that. I
1: love that hair. <laughs> Everything just ah, uh, love it.
0: And he, and you know, he's relatively good-looking, and not in like a slimy or overtly sexual <laughs> way. He's just, he's just a nice guy. It seems right.
1: Yes, uh, yeah. I yeah, he was. Uh, okay, I feel like I'm about to make a faux pas here. He was the host of Press Your Luck, wasn't he? Or was uh, that somebody I, else?
0: I think it was somebody else.
1: Okay, um, okay. But
0: here, I'll get to it. Bert Conby had even a more impressive resume in film and television than prior two entries on this list, having a string of film appearances and several acting roles in television. He was so popular, he even guest hosted Johnny Carson's Tonight Show on occasion when Johnny would take some time off. You know, it's like when Joan Rivers wasn't available. Oh, okay. <laughs> but perhaps that popularity is because Bert won over the hearts of American viewing audiences as the host of. Win loser draw, win
1: loser draw, that's where I remember him from. Yes. And super password. Super. I even mentioned that. Why did yeah. I? Think? Oh, <laughs> oh, gosh. However, Burt's first
0: love was baseball, and he was even scouted and placed on a minor league team for the Philadelphia Phillies, and he played professionally for 2 years. But acting was his true calling, and he eventually made it to Broadway where he originated the roles of Perchick in the original production of Fiddler on the Roof in oh, 1964, wow. and the lead role of Clifford Bradshaw in
1: Cabaret in 1966. Very nice. Our local Civic Theater is doing Cabaret right now. Oh, San, yeah. Angelo's, right. San Angelo Civic Theater. Go buy a ticket. It's a great Absolute. show. Mm-hmm.
0: In total, he had 11 Broadway credits to his name.
1: That's impressive. Isn't that I'm, something? I'm kind of... I'm looking at his wiki right now and uh uh-huh. him and Burt Reynolds form their own production company. It's yep. called Burt and Burt Productions. <laughs> Burt and Burt. And, and they produce Win, Lose, or Draw. So we can uh-huh. all thank Burt Reynolds for that. I bet you he was yep. probably a guest on that show. I would imagine so. I would imagine What's, so. What you drawing there? <laughs> what is it, a house line? <laughs> Unicorn? There's no such thing as a unicorn. Yeah. Ask me okay. what I'm drawing. Go on. Ask me what I'm drawing. <laughs> Women like it when I draw my blank. <laughs> Is that a rocket ship? <laughs> no, Betty why'd <White>, Be quiet. <laughs> All right, Bert. Here's your know. password. T- <laughs> I don't like that word. Give me another one. <laughs> oh, no. Every time I try to do an impression of Bert Reynolds, it turns into Croucho Marx. <laughs> <laughs> Not my name. What's my name? Turn Ferguson. <laughs> what do you want? Well, you see, I got me a lot of chest hair. How else do you think I managed to make this mustache?
0: Yep. Now, in today's game show world, we have a lot of hosts who have never really acted before and were mainly picked for their character traits that we've already mentioned a few times in this episode. But the Broadway bug still seems to bite game show producers. And here are some recognizable faces that can attract audiences. Wayne Brady. Oh, yes. He's hosted Let's Make a Deal, Don't Forget the Lyrics, and Game of Talents. But he also played Lola in Kinky Boots on Broadway. Absolutely. for a time appeared as Billy Flynn in Chicago.
1: Yes, and got his biggest break on a game show called uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway?
0: Oh, that one. Yes, I've heard yes. Of that.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I always thought Wayne Brady was going to become a big superstar, but I guess the stars just never aligned for him. But I'm glad he's got success uh, because he he's deserves doing it. He's, he's, yeah. he's doing great.
0: And just recently came out as pansexual.
1: Yes, he did. In <laughs> an exclusive yes, story to People Magazine. You're like, okay, good yeah, on I you. Just, I know, It's is just like, oh, okay awesome yeah good on you wayne brady when when's the next who's line revival coming that's what i really care about please <laughs> and here's my last example
0: jane lynch who has uh, appeared in a ton of tv and film projects but might what be best remembered hosted oh check this out okay she hosted hollywood game night which oh is like that's cele- right yep. Okay. So okay celebrities playing like tabletop games and the reboot of the weakest link I did not know
1: that. I, yeah. I have not seen that. That,
0: that one not surprise me too. But also appeared on Broadway as Miss Hannigan in a revival of Annie, and just this last year as Mrs. Bryce in Funny Girl, which is closing uh, like this week.
1: Jane but, Lynch is just mm-hmm. she is so hilarious. Oh yeah, she could read a phone book in a funny voice, and I, I would yeah. I would pay money to go see it.
0: And literally for years, she has been this staunch advocate of LGBTQ drama and, and drama festivals mm-hmm. and playwriting competitions. So she's been around the theater world forever, too. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, it, it, she's just one of those faces that people have come to trust. And, you know, they don't bring up, like, her personal life. And
1: they're just like, oh, eh, just... You ask me if I want to be a millionaire, maybe. <laughs> and it's so funny because all most of the characters she plays are pretty despicable characters. I mean, if you look at, right. at the coach from Glee and <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh, that stocky woman from uh, the 40 year old virgin, yep. you would think that would be a woman like, OK, uh, uh, children, let's stand on this side of me. <laughs> but no, she she does. She just has one of those. She has one of those trust me faces. And I and you do. You're just like, yes, I trust you, Jane Lynch. Yeah, no, you're not like that coach from, from Glee. I am the weakest link. Thank you for telling me. Thank you. Thank you, (laughs) Jerry. So
0: I guess it's not entirely understood why Broadway actors make good game show hosts, but I'll let this Gene Rayburn quote sink in when he was asked in an interview about the personality of a game show host. It's kind of difficult to define a personality. Part of it is certainly physical. A personality should be pleasing to look at and have a pleasing voice, for example, but there's something more to it. It's really an undefinable quality. You can't acquire it. It's a congenital endowment. I think it has a lot to do with empathy, a feeling that runs back and forth between the personality and the audience. End quote.
1: I agree. And if you allow me to have my own take on that as well, I think that Mm -hmm. that stage actors are good game show hosts because they're good improvisers. Yes. And if something goes wrong or something goes right in the best way, they can flow with it and they don't get freaked out. Like, you know, not saying that all television and film actors are like this, but some of them are very <laughs> staunch and they they just can't stand a disruption. You know, Orson mm-hmm. Welles, for example, if Orson something didn't go right, Orson Welles would shut down. So I can't work under these conditions. But, you know, a a Broadway actor can't stop a performance in the middle of a show. They just have to they just have to roll with it. And no, yeah, that's 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 a game show host right there. That's that's right. That's pretending like you are so frustrated with the woman who doesn't know how to play high-low that you have to sit down and put your hand in your hands because you know it's (laughs) funny.
0: Right. Right. Well, I mean, Steve Harvey has made an entire career out of that on family
1: feud. I'm going to ask a question that has an obvious dirty answer. (laughs) I'm going to give an obvious dirty answer. (laughs) Name something round on your wife. See, he should he should host the match game if they ever bring it back.
0: Oh my God, wouldn't that be brilliant?
1: My husband so brilliant? has a very long throbbing blank. <laughs> poodle. <laughs> Did you say poodle? <laughs> I love Steve Har- Steve Harvey's. I oh mean, man, and i I've watched I've watched Family Feud since before I can remember. I remember um, Richard Dawson. I remember. Um, Oh, my gosh. Kissy face. I remember him. So I remember Louis Anderson, but Steve Harvey just brings something so endearingly human to that role. He's almost like the the ragged babysitter. Just he's had enough. (laughs) He's had enough, but, you know, he loves it. Oh, yeah. I just I think that is such a great quality.
0: Well, it's it's also fun to set that up that way, too. You know, if you go into that show knowing that the audience or the, the contestants mm-hmm. are going to say something completely off oh, the wall, yeah. Oh, yeah. but you have a
1: straight man there to react to it, mm-hmm. then it it just enhances the funny. And, you know, maybe maybe it's an extension of what we we're saying today about how Broadway actors are the best hosts. Uh, another uh, well that they get hosts from are from the stand up comedian. Yes. Uh, from the stand-up comedian. Uh, yes. I, have, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess talent pool. Because yeah, you know, sure. you do have you do have Steve Harvey and you had Jeff Foxworthy host that the, mm-hmm. oh, who, the, the a one, fifth yeah. grader one. And I think Bill Ingball hosted one for a while too. And mm-hmm. and as I said, the great the late great Louis Anderson was the host of uh, Family Feud before Steve Harvey came along too. Um, but yeah, I mean, what is a stand-up comedian but a Broadway actor who's just not on Broadway and not doing a play at the time? They're right. improvised. <laughs>
0: Well, and and for better, for worse, that's my that's that's my story today. But uh, yeah, I think you're you're hitting on it. Like uh, somehow it just dawned upon producers that you already have this talent pool who is ready to handle uh, unexpected circumstances. They are ready to roll with the punches and they already know how to keep an audience in suspense.
1: Indeed. Yes.
0: So, yeah, there we go. I'm, I, yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced now that you know, they found a, a market that would consistently, consistently bring positive results every single time. Absolutely, you always
1: know? trust the people who stand up on stage and deal with the things they didn't know they were going to deal with.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I've not been to too many like live, big comedy shows. I got to see George Carlin about a year before he died.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm envious. I was going to go see oh. him at Bass Hall in yeah. 2002 and mm-hmm. I I got something I had to do. I was like, oh, I can't go this time, but I'll go next time. And there was no next time. Uh, and I think yeah. George knew and I think he was laughing about it. Like, hey, I should have bought the ticket now, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> but he didn't say jerk. No, no, he wouldn't. George Carlin would and, have made an amazing game show host, by the way.
0: Oh my God. That would have been great.
1: <laughs> so y'all want to win money so you can take part in the capitalistic society that's draining this country dry. Well, let's do it then. You can all suck my blank. Mr. Carlin, this is Family Feud. I know.
0: <laughs> Congratulations, you just won $500. That could feed in a homeless person for an entire year. Oh my gosh, that's a great George Carlin. Oh, I've listened to him forever. i love it. But I remember going to see that show and just being amazed that there were still people out there heckling him oh, and like, you know who this is, right? I and know. one, he's not going to do anything about it because he knows you're just being an asshole. Yeah. That's like, like
1: throwing it. That's like throwing a rotten tomato at the Terminator. It's just going to not even look <laughs> at you. It's just going to go by and you're going to feel smaller because of it.
0: <laughs>
1: I think I saw a video where George Carlin reacted to a heckler once. Yeah. And yeah. he just unloaded this verbal tirade. Oh, man. And I, I just because of my job and everything, I can't repeat anything he said.
0: <laughs> but it was
1: it was enough. He mm-hmm. he said something about put something in his mouth so he'll shut up. And, you know, he, he went into great detail about the thing that should be placed into this heckler's <laughs> mouth so that he would mm. stop talking.
0: and it was probably
1: like a 15 minute bit in this entire show just him going on and on about how much this guy needs to be needs to shut up and i just Mm -hmm. i would love just to talk to that man
0: what What
1: were you thinking that's Eh? like david and goliath if david flew the rock in the wrong direction (laughs) that's leatherface tripping yes (laughs) leatherface (laughs) tripping onto his chainsaw
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man but you know as they say the show must go on (laughs) can you believe that so many broadway actors have become prolific game show hosts when I was first telling people the idea for this episode, I got a similar question for many of them. Really? How many can there be? And at one point, my count was nine. But I'm sure I missed some, and if I did, feel free to reach out to me. I've got Instagram pages for both Trident Theater and Euripides Humanities. And while you're there, check out my great guest today, Jason Roy Gaston, on all his socials too. My many thanks go out to him for all his contributions to this episode. For now, though, I'll sign off. This is Aaron Odom ending another episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. Another episode will be in your ears in two weeks, and I will see you at intermission.